0: Welcome to the Spa Retailer Podcast, where we talk about retail, business, and all things related to the hot tub industry. Here's your host, Megan Kendrick. Megan here again. Just real quick, if you haven't listened to our previous episode, go back and listen to that first, as this is a continuation of that conversation. And just a reminder, this episode was recorded last May, if some of the time references seem off. Here is part two of my conversation with Jim Van Fleet. Welcome to the spot Retailer podcast. I'm Megan. I am back again with Jim Van Fleet, um, one of the owners of Mainly Tubs. If you haven't listened to the last episode, please do, because this will be a continuation of that discussion. I've been talking to Jim about his employee stock ownership plan. Last episode, Jim, we talked about what an ESOP is and why you decided to do it. Uh, this time, I'd like to find out more details of your ESOP and how you set it up specifically for mainly tubs. Um, what was kind of the Great. beginning step of, you know, last time we talked about you got the valuation and, and the reasons behind. What was kind of the initial step to um, to get the ESOP started?
1: Well, once I knew of the concept, Megan, I... Um... I joined, um, there are a couple of national associations um, in the ESOP world. And I found the NCEO, the National Center for Employee Ownership. It's a San Francisco-based nonprofit membership organization. And the members are not just owners and practitioners of ESOPs, but um, banks and accountants and attorneys and all the people who ultimate trustees, the people who are hired as, as the uh, professional consultants in order to ensure that an ESOP is set up in a legal manner and um, sense from, from all the participants' perspective. So I joined this organization. I went to a couple of their annual conferences, um, and I found the uh, other businesses in Maine who were ESOPs and went and started to visit with those folks, um, just to start to do my homework and get a sense of how, not only structurally how it works, but um, what are the what are the mechanics behind the scenes? Once you have an ESOP, what has to happen? How do the employees understand the benefits and and what's happening to their stock? How do they? How do they see and understand how their day-to-day activities affects their retirement? So there are a lot of nuts and bolts details that took me quite some time to understand well enough so I knew how to interview um, those folks who might be a trustee, who would be the people with whom I negotiate for the value of my business, negotiate against, if you will, But I have an opportunity to interview those people and at least designate somebody who looks like they're experienced in doing so. You have to interview if you feel as if you need your own consultant, valuation consultant. Many accounting firms do this, Um, and there needs to be, for the trustee, a valuation company. There are also lawyers involved. I spent a lot of time interviewing many of these people so that by the time we started we started to get down to brass tacks and negotiate, I had hired my own lawyer. I had hired my own accountancy firm for, that, for my own valuation purposes. I then hired the trustee and they recommended to them who they should hire for a valuation firm. But I have to say that all of this it takes time. It, there's a lot of detail to it. It is a, not a fall-out-of-bed kind of a transaction. It's one that uh, can be expensive. Um, a lot of people object when you have to pay a few thousand dollars for any consultant. The cost of my ESOP ran oh, well over a $100,000 totally in lawyers' fees and trustees' fees and accountancy fees um but you remember, my company was also at the time running the next year over ten million dollars in sales, so we had a little more room for in in our profit and loss statement to be able to pay for uh, pay for good consultants.
0: I imagine other retailers listening to this, um you know, maybe they're their' heart sinking a little bit when they hear you. <laughs> talk about how much time and effort and money it took to it took to set this up um but i imagine that well, I t-
1: i'll tell you I, I think you're right they might um but consider um the alternative how long does it take to um train your kids to be able to know enough to run their the business so that they can start to pay you a retirement income which gives you something close to the market value that you made for this company or from a private buyer. So nothing, none of this comes easy. I, you know, I think there's some life lesson here that you get what you pay for. (laughs) You you know, this is not something um, that is going to be applicable to small businesses. Um, Depends on how you define small, but, if you can't meet the criteria that I mentioned earlier, then it's probably not going to be something for you.
0: Sure. Um, so once you did all this background work and, and obtained this knowledge yourself, and found all of the people that you wanted to be involved, um, is it a little weird to, like you said, base, like basically hire someone to negotiate against? <laughs> How does that work? Yeah. <laughs>
1: It, it is a, a little weird, except that these people recognize that they have a fiduciary responsibility and the licenses that they get in order to be in this businesses are really important to them because they're, they want to do a lot of transactions. So they have to, it, it's one thing to interview them and hire them. But once you've done that, they're entirely independent and you aren't necessarily going to like what they say or who they decide to hire or what their attorneys have to say. And there can be some, you know, the negotiation uh, to arrive at a price is it it was fairly drawn out and um, took some time and took a lot of information providing and, and as good negotiations do, they don't just, you don't fall out of bed and find a negotiated price for a, a company that in our case was five or six times, the, um, a multiple of uh, EBITDA.
0: I guess, so once you have worked with them and negotiated a price and, and figured out that part of it, uh, what's the, what's the next step? At what point do you, you know, present this to your employees and have those details worked out for them?
1: Uh, really good question, because part of the architecture of the, of a deal includes trying to set up incentives, um, extra incentives I wanted for the key people in the business who I knew were going to ultimately take my place. And they already had their important functions, but um, they're the people in anybody's company who have, the best ability to affect revenue, growth, and profitability. And within an ESOP, some people have heard the term of phantom stock or options or stock appreciation rights. Those are conventional terms in corporate finance. They're also terms that are used in an ESOP. And so part of what I wanted to do was to not just be able to have all the employees get annual distributions of stock and the stock value go up, I wanted incentives for the key players, in my case, stock appreciation rights, so that as the company performed really well, those people who were making it perform really well, who had management responsibility, would get extra incentives and ultimately pay for having done so. Um, in the case of the underlying stock of the company itself, there's a um, a six year vesting period once you you get to a mandatory retirement age of sixty five, I think. Um, and and the same thing exists in a vesting period for the stock appreciation rights. So the whether it's the stock or whether it's the stock appreciation rights, the idea was to ensure that people could see that they, once they did perform and make the company perform well, there were going to be several different ways in which they would be compensated.
0: So when you set this up and you, you know, clearly have existing employees and, um, you know, the vesting is at six years, does that start when the ESOP starts or is it retroactive? So you've been here for seven years, so your stock is already vested. Is that how that works?
1: No, it starts when the plan starts.
0: Okay, okay.
1: So, um, and, and because I have a, very, a pretty young uh, population, nobody was, I was the only person remotely close to retirement age. So the vesting period, I think, was uh, less important as I chatted ultimately with employees about that. Um, and you have to have key employees involved pretty much from the outset Megan it, it's not something that i could do independently the trustee it, using the department of labor regulations has to be able to interview the key members of management to ensure that the representations that are being made about future finances what kind of revenue can we expect in the future and why and what kind of expenses will we have in the future it required us to do forward-looking five- and ten-year budgets, Um, and that's a rigorous process in itself, but that process that includes key managers um, means that um, there is more than just the owner involved in setting the future direction, and that's why the trustee wants to talk to key managers. So the long and the short of it is I was required to bring key managers into the confidential process So that one, they could understand from their own standpoint how and we were going to manage the company going forward, but also so they could eventually be interviewed by independent outside folks who needed to satisfy themselves and ultimately the Department of Labor that this company would run without the selling shareholder. Now, it wasn't envisioned that I, I was the selling shareholder. It wasn't envisioned that I was going to go right away, leave right away. But at, at 69, anything can happen. <laughs> and, they, you know, the trustee has to protect all the employees. And so they have to be sure that um, if something happened to me, that the company was going to continue to run. And that's really important. That's, that's, that's what makes a good company in the first place. I, I learned uh, several years back that the more time off I took and the company continued to perform as well as it had, the more valuable my company is. My wife liked that too, I might say. I'm <laughs> sure oh, you she did. Work less? <laughs> you could work less, and your company's worth more. <laughs> so. Um, but that that's thats what happens in the eyes of valuation people who want to understand and have to protect all of the employees to ensure that the company will continue to run in perpetuity. And this retirement plan can, in fact, be a retirement plan.
0: When did it officially take take effect then?
1: Uh, on, on, um, all of the, it, it took effect on 12 uh, 16 so the end of last year, so that all of the existing employees who had worked... 1,000 hours got their first year of vesting in 2016, Um, and and that's just the nature of the way I chose to do it. Um, It made sense to do it at the close of a fiscal year. Um, We we had to put in place things that we hadn't done before. There has to be an outside independent auditor um, who looks at the financial statements and says to the trustee, yes, these financials are they are accurate representation of what's going on in this company. And then the trustee can say, okay, well, that means that the stock price this year is, and in a good performing company, of course, the expectation is that the stock price will continue to expand over time. There are some, some inside loans that are involved in an ESOP, which are complicating, but, the long and the short of it is that i chose a period over 25 years to distribute 100% of the stock to employees and i did that because i wanted new employees over time to have plenty of opportunity to get portions of their of the company's ownership and if you distribute 100% of the shares in a short term to generally young employees who enjoy working There's going to be nothing left for the new people who come in. So there are some conscious planning um, uh, criteria that you have to think about in order to put something like this in place and to ensure that it's going to be enjoyed and all the incentives are going to be enjoyed by all of the employees over time. I chose not to do this with my own personal tax a, a calculation as an important variable Okay. Um, that may that may sound um, uh, anti-american but <laughs> um, I was an S corp and had been an S corp all along from a structural standpoint if I had changed to a C corp uh, I could have done what's called a 1042 exchange which basically was avoid all of the capital gains um on the stock that I was selling to the ESOP. That might prove very attractive to some people, but what it does is it requires the successor company, once the transaction happens, this is sort of arcane, but it requires the successor company to to be a C corporation for at least five years. That then requires the C corporation to pay taxes before it can even pay a bank that might be involved or the shareholder who is taking uh, financing back. So in my case, I chose to not have that be my motivation, rather to choose to pay capital gains on an installment basis um, as how I would handle the taxes of my own personal situation. And that will give the company far more cash to run itself because it's not having to pay taxes on a going forward basis. Um, the only taxes that ultimately are paid by an ESOP are by the participants when they get their stock many years out and only on a regular income tax basis at whatever rates they happen to have. So I chose not to get to take advantage of um, what might have saved a lot of cash for me in order to sh- ensure the ultimate success of the ESOP going forward.
0: So explain what happens when you do decide to retire and leave the business. What happens to um, to your stocks? What happens to the employees? Do they, I mean, who is, who's in charge now? How does that work?
1: Yeah, well, there's a board of directors, good question. Um, I, I had to agree to uh, cede um, control of the company. To a board of directors and there are it's a board in which I'm allowed to serve as a director but I have to have two outside independent directors who ultimately are responsible as a group to manage the company going forward to choose who they hire for staff to approve just like a normal corporation would all of the sort of underpinnings operationally of any company and the trustee um, appoints the board so the i had a chance to recommend a slate of directors but at the end of the day the trustee had the say as to who were going to be the directors for the company and as contractual ceo which is what i am for at least a three-year period i have to report to that board of directors i can still be a member and am of the board but i'm a minority um i am a minority one of three in our case and so i basically had to agree to be accountable to somebody other than myself and that's a change <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, but that's okay you know we had already set up uh, as a management group the idea that that could happen with time so uh, that's an interesting format change for uh, a company which has been led by an entrepreneur as many in our industry are. You have to be ready and willing to um, think hard about how you're going to govern yourselves going forward.
0: So were those directors people, current employees, or are they people outside of the business or a combination of both? Where Where did they come from?
1: Um, they're outside people. Um, one is a, a person, acquaintance that I have known for many years, who's a really successful businessman, who I um, think would provide some extraordinary value on a board. The other is, um, was the CEO of another ESOP company. So there's another ESOP company in Maine of fairly significant size. And I got to know this guy as I was doing my research. And so he's been through all the rigors of ESOPs, knows all of the landmines, if you will, um, and how to be successful at operating it. And so I asked him, and I was lucky enough to, that both of these um, guys with substantial business experience in uh, industries other than my own uh, would uh, accept their board seats. They get paid uh, for this. There's, you know, it's like any other board you, you have to pay to get this kind of um, knowledge and expertise. And that's part of the ongoing expense of an ESOP, which um, people ask me all the time, what's it it cost on an annual going forward basis to run an ESOP? And my answer is, well, probably a minimum of 30,000, and you might get a high of 60 or 65,000 for the combination of all the people who have to be on board in order to run it well and comply with the Department of Labor's uh, ERISA standards.
0: So the board, what decisions are they involved in? Are they only involved in the management of the, of the ESOP? I mean, I imagine they're not involved in daily operations of, of the company. Where do the, sort of their responsibilities lie?
1: Yeah, their responsibilities do lie with the operations of the company because it's the trustee who's responsible for the reporting of, um, and the oversight of the ESOP. Um, but so they're approving. Take an example. They're approving uh, budgets. They're getting quarterly reports on the financial uh, uh, results of our company compared to budget and compared to last year. They're monitoring what I call key performance uh, indices, which are what are important touchstone points in determining on an ongoing basis how well we're doing you know unit sales versus plan unit sales versus last year gross margins a lot of key things but so their their real job is to hire and fire the the uh, ceo and um, ensure that the ceo continues to have staff and functionaries who are able to run the company grow it meet objectives they these board members must also serve as an audit committee as a compensation committee so those kinds of activities are now out of the hands of the owner and the owner staff and rather in the hands of of uh, professionals
0: has that been has it been difficult for you to turn over some of that control i mean i know you you decided to do this so you knew you knew it was coming but um has that been an uncomfortable thing for you to do
1: um, uh, not particularly just by dint of age, if nothing else, there has to come a time when you give, give it up, <laughs> I'm Sure. Um, and, um, but it's, it's kind of a new twist. And I think it's important for, uh, younger people, my staff included to see and be part of a company that's run by independent directors. That's what 99% of law employers are anyway. Um, so um, I, for me, it's been fun. The whole thing has been fun. It's been a lot of work, more work than I expected. I I, I had to give up rounds of golf that I would ordinarily play <laughs> in, in order to get this done.
0: Well, I was going to so, ask. I was going to ask yeah. if you'd found this to be sort of an energizing and, and I guess a fun process. I mean, I know it does sound like it's been a lot of work, but. Um, but it, I mean, imagine it gave you something completely new to tackle and, and to learn about. Um, and sometimes that can be a really uh, motivating and, and energizing thing to do.
1: Well, it um, you know, I was sort of gradually evolving myself into work less over the years just because I couldn't work as much as I used to work. But um, what it's, it allowed me to kind of become something I never had, thought about before. I, it, you know, I call myself the Walmart greeter now, and I'm not in the store seven days a week anymore, of course, but whenever there are lots of traffic I'm in, and I love being in and telling people about the success of our company and that now all the employees own it, and is it a wonderful part of Americans' capitalism that we can have a system in which the people who help grow a company can become owners? That's very exciting. And you know that's not routine either. Um, so it's uh, I think it's exciting stuff. And and uh, you know for anybody in our industry, I think we're in a pretty fun industry anyway. We're not a pool company; we're just a hot tub company. But um, you know we're in the we're in the wellness business. We're in the fun business. We're in the therapy business. Um, I even call my hot tub my think tank. <laughs>
0: Is that where you decided to, came up with the idea to do an ESOP, was in your hot tub? <laughs> in,
1: in, my, in my think tank.
0: <laughs> what has been your employees' reaction to this? Um, do they understand what this means for them? Are they excited about it? Um, what, is, what has been their, their reaction to having this set up for them?
1: Logically, their first response is, what is this? What is an e-stop? And I told the story at our holiday party, which is when I told everybody what was happening. Um, I'd just come from the closing and all the paperwork was done in the middle of December. The transaction was effective and all the money stuff happened uh, on the 30th of the year. But I told them at the Christmas holiday party um, that I'd just come from a closing, which I'd sold the business. And I didn't talk for about 10 seconds and everybody's jaws dropped and they looked around and they said, Oh my God, what's happened. And I said, and and now I'd like to introduce you to the new owners of mainly Tubbs. I'd like you to look to your left and look to your right because all of you have now been gifted in your retirement plans, the ownership of this company. And so none of the employees had to put up any money. In order to um, allow this to be put in place. But you've heard some of the rigors of what it means to be an ESOP going forward. Um, and they were all really excited. They were particularly excited when I told them the story of another ESOP company in which a retiree had gotten up to speak at his retirement party and um, said, You know, 25 years ago, when you guys put this in place, I thought it was a lot of baloney. I thought it was. Uh, some way you were lining your pockets. And I'm standing up here today with a retirement check that's worth a half a million dollars. And I've been a laborer for 25 years in this company. And so this is no bunk. <laughs> so I told that story to everybody and that sort of helped get people get over the idea that the this was some highfalutin transaction. It was It's a real transaction in which people ultimately are going to gain based on how well they do and how well they continue to run the company. They're going to gain something of significant value in their retirement that they would not otherwise get um, elsewhere. So I think that gives us a leg up as the employer. That's one of the reasons that I liked it. Um,
0: good stuff. It sounds like, you know, you already had great people in place who are doing a wonderful job. But I mean, have you seen a change in their attitude at all now that they are, you know, part owners of of the company? Has there been a shift in their own personal motivations that you've seen?
1: You know, it's been in place for four months now. Um, and I'm clearly my uh, the management staff is very excited. They know much more about it than the... Uh, rank and file. Of course. The rank and file seems to be excited because they know that nothing is going to change. Their jobs are going to be protected and they're going to get some future benefit. And if they do well, their pay will go up, their bonuses will go up, and they'll also have a stock that continues to grow in value. So I think they all get the idea that in this day and age as a company that we have to be uh, really good at customer interactions, you know, uh, customers hold this uh, uh, a torch to our feet every day, which is the ability to post on the internet anything which is a less than satisfactory experience with any company's representatives. And so it really heightens the importance to be really good with people at, after the sale. And that's been the hallmark of our success. And I think everybody recognizes that. All our employees are paying a lot more attention to, or at least they tell me about the happy um, interactions they have with customers and that they can tell customers that they're part owners in the company. It's, it leads to a fun conversation and I like to think that over time as they get to learn more about it and they start to see statements representing the value in their retirement accounts of the company stock that that will also continue to energize
0: them. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. I really appreciate your willingness um, to kind of go on the record and and explain this in so much detail. Succession planning is a topic that retailers have expressed a lot of interest in over the years, and I'm so excited that we can share your unique plan so that others can can learn from what you've been doing. Um, It's really been great and interesting, so thank you so much.
1: You're so welcome, Megan. Nice to chat with you. Um, p- people know how to reach out to me. Um, I welcome the opportunity to answer questions. Yeah. When they uh, have a chance.
0: I was going to say, you know, if anyone does have questions for, for Jim on this topic um, or for me, you know, you can email us at podcast at spa retailer dot com. Um, you know, if we have enough questions, we can even do a, a follow up where we answer some of those. So please let us know where you um, as Jim, Jim has already said, he's happy to <laughs> answer all of your questions, so we welcome those at any time. Um, you have... I,
1: haven't set up, I haven't set up a consulting company yet, Megan, but...
0: <laughs> you may have to after so, this. <laughs>
1: I, don't, I don't know. You know, there are a lot of baby boomers who uh, own... I'm, I'm clearly at my age a baby boomer, and uh, there are a lot of us who own companies like this um, who want to find... Uh, nifty ways to um, ramp out of a business, uh, as opposed to fall out of a business.
0: The industry is kind of at that point where there are in these entrepreneurs who started these businesses and who are kind of ready to to move on, whether it's to something new or to retirement. And so there are a lot of people out here, out there, who are at the place where you are and are looking for those answers. So, um, which is why this has been such a such a popular topic in the past. And I'm excited to. Uh, bring more on this topic coming in later episodes so stay tuned we will continue to talk about succession planning um if there's a particular aspect you'd like to hear more about please let us know you have been listening to the spa retailer podcast thank you so much for joining us and uh, please check back in soon You've been listening to the Spa Retailer podcast. You can download previous episodes on iTunes, Google Play, or at sparetailer.com/podcast. Be sure to download the Spa Retailer app, where you can also listen to the podcast and get access to all the magazine articles as well as exclusive content.